And we are underway, broadcasting to you from our remote Pittsburgh studios, north of the steel city of Pittsburgh, PA, where today we bring you episode number 68 of our podcast, Steel City Sports Talk. My name is Alex Brown. And I'm Ryan Berry. And together we are your hosts for this podcast. And Ryan, I almost fumbled there on even with an... On, on our intro there, and it's good. We haven't been on the air in a little bit. Lots has happened, and let's start with the Pittsburgh Penguins, who's have had a lot of dealings in the last twenty four hours. Yeah, they have, and uh, they're not necessarily all good, and none were really received that well. But let's look at the Penguins where they are right now. They've won three straight, sixty games played, thirty wins, twenty one losses, nine overtime losses. So if you don't count those as an extra point, or if you don't count those as a tie. Uh, the Penguins are exactly 500 at 30 and 30. Uh, but 69 points, which is three clear of the Buffalo Sabres, and puts them second in the wildcard standings, one point behind the New York Islanders, who have 70 points uh, with 64 games played. As we are recording, the Penguins are playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, and we are recording this Thursday, uh, March. Is it the second? I think it's the second. Thursday, March 2nd. Second. Yes, uh, yes, sir. And the Islanders don't play tonight, but the Sabres do play tonight. But no matter what happens, the Penguins will be in a wild card after this. Uh, while you're hearing this podcast, hopefully they can extend that with another win against Tampa Bay tonight. Beat them seven three last week. But Alex, I think you want to talk about those trades. You, you have a lot of you have a lot of emotions about this. I do, and I I, I don't think mine are as strong as some people that you see um, on radio around Pittsburgh or the talking heads on Twitter. Um, but I don't mind the Teddy Bluger deal. I mean, you get $2.2 million off the books, and you get basically a, uh, just somebody a filler for the contract situation because um, you have to have a certain amount of contracts on your on your team. And that's why they got Peter Dillabatori from Vegas. Um, and then they get a third-round pick out of it. That's not bad. That's a 2024 third-round pick, though. But the thing that really got people talking, Ryan, and that was something we conversed about last night, was the Mikel Granlin trade, which the Penguins got him from Nashville, and they traded a second-round pick back to them. Nashville's trying to sell. They're a seller right now at the deadline. But he's $5 million, $5 million on the books, and that leaves the Penguins now with $1.1 million left in cap space. But you got Granlin on the books for another two seasons at $5 million. He's 31. He's going to be a third-liner. But that's a very pricey acquisition. Uh, for the Penguins right now, they have seven guys, seven forwards, making five million or more on the team right now, and you're only in the second to last wild card. You're only in the second wild card spot right now, and you're only three points into the playoff picture. Sabers have a game in hand, so when you have seven guys on the on, in your forwards that are making five million or more, you'd expect to be in a little bit better position. And Gremlin's going to have to step up. For me, it's at least a point. Per hundred thousand, if you're making five million, you have to be make you have to be scoring at least fifty points a season, and that's at least. Yeah, and looking at the depth chart on Cap Friendly, there I love that website, but uh, the, the he's being paid the most in the third line by far, uh, four million more than Dan Hine and and two million more than Jeff Carter, who's overpaid himself. Uh, but you look at it, I mean, Ricardo Kell first line is making five million. Jake Kensel. Uh, first line making six million. I don't think that Granlin becomes within a million dollars of Jake, and I don't think he's worth as much as Raquel at all. 
Uh, and he's not a bad player. He's good on the penalty kill. He can play left wing, right wing, center. Uh, I think he's playing right wing tonight. Not exactly sure. All I know is that he's overpaid for what he brings. 36 points, 9 goals, 27 assists in 58 games. That's a decent third third liner, but not for $5 million. And it just stinks that the Penguins could have done a lot more with that. And if you're not going to bring in a guy uh, who, who averages around a point per game or maybe a little bit less for around the same price as, as you brought in Granlin, at least maybe try to bring in that guy, uh, Jacob Chigurin. Uh, and the, the you know, Senators got him for a price the Penguins could have played, uh, and they could have saved the Penguins some cap space as well because I believe he's only getting paid around $4 million. I could be wrong about that. But uh, uh, I think the, the money could have been spent better other places or on other players. So yeah, it's it's interesting to look at. I don't I don't think he's a bad player at all. I just think he's being overpaid. I think that the media's message is has kind of been misconstrued a little bit as everybody thinks, okay, they're saying this guy sucks and it's a terrible trade. Well, actually, the guy isn't bad, it's just he's way overpaid and I don't believe that the Penguins are any closer to competing this year. I, I totally agree. Yeah, I love the player. I hate the price. Um, and it's uh, another thing with the age. You got him for two more years. Your average age um, of people under contract going into next year is 32.5. So you, your average is like 33 years old. It's going to be the average player on the Pittsburgh Penguins next year um, of people that are still remaining under contract. And that's concerning to me because there's a lot of older players on this team and when you get older, you get maybe a little bit, you get slower, you get maybe a little bit more complacent. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what um, they do in free agency this year. And I think the Penguins will make the playoffs, Ryan. I'm not worried about the Sabres. I mean, the Sabres are a decent team. They beat the Lightning um, last week, but they also lost to the Columbus Blue Jackets. At, I think it was at home the other day. So I think that's, that's indicative of them being a young team that is not ready for be a serious play to, for being a serious playoff contender. So I'm not worried about them. I think the Penguins will make the playoffs. But if you make the playoffs, are we going to see anything more than a first round exit? I don't know. And it's been that way for the last four, four seasons, right? And I, it's terribly, terribly concerning to me um, where the Penguins are headed. And I don't know if Rotten Hexel. I, I hope he has a plan. But I don't know what it is. And not many people do. Um, quick update on the Penguins game. They're down one nothing. But uh, right before the goal, a Tang blocked a shot in the hand. Uh, it seemed to be fine, but then blocked a shot in the face. Blood everywhere on the ice, and he had to go to the locker room on his. Uh, yeah, I mean gushing blood. I mean, I'm just looking at some of the tweets about it right now. Apparently, it was gushing blood. I mean, just really, really, really ugly. And they're cleaning up the cleaning up the. Uh, the ice right now. Oh my gosh! And uh, Chris, I mean that's gonna be that's not good. And uh, Chris Stewart, phenomenal Penguins trainer. Oh, I mean he's he'll clean them up, but um, that's that's not good. And the Penguins need all hands on deck in every game moving forward. You play another twenty. Uh, after tonight, you play another 21 games. You have 30 wins in the year. The Bruins, who have the most wins in the NHL and 
and have had a, a historic season have 17 more wins in regulation. Um, well, I obviously just win 17 more wins than the Penguins have this year. And they played the same amount of games. And they also have a, a plus 97 goals against uh, goals for so goal differential. They have a plus 97 goals differential. The Penguins have a plus four goal differential. So that's the difference between good and great. And the Pens are not great. They're not going to win the Stanley Cup this year. And if they're not going to win the Stanley Cup this year, then what's the point of pu putting all your cards on the table and trading and trying to get a guy like Grenland who is that expensive? I'd rather them right now, Ryan, have $6.1 million in cap space and have never made that trade to get Grenland. Yeah, and another thing that I don't like about the moves is that I really wanted to see the Penguins save enough room to be able to bring Ty Smith up. Because uh, I really think I'd like to see what he can add, but it, I, I think they're still cap strapped that they can't even bring him up. I mean, his contract, or they could bring him up actually. They could bring him up. They could bring him up. They could now. That's interesting. I, I would expect them to do that. Well, I guess you don't know exactly who he would send down, but I, I'd like to see them try to get him up because he's a young defenseman who, who has a lot of potential. I, they could absolutely bring him up right now. And they'd have a, like, they would. Have a, they have a little bit of a cushion there too. As Ty Smith, he's making, uh, what is he making right now? He's making $863,000. And the Pens have about $1.1 in cap space. So they could bring him up. But it's, uh, as you said, it's about who you send down. The Penguins have seven, got, seven, um, seven defensemen right now um, up top in the NHL. So you're going to have to move someone around on the forwards or defensive pairings. But the defense has been okay. Defense has been okay. I mean, it's not – they're playing better, as you said recently. They're just not a great team. And I don't know I don't know what you do from here. I don't know what Hextall does. If you want to win now, then trade your first-round pick. If you want to win now, trade your first-round pick and do something. And maybe they could have gotten a better player. Maybe they could have gotten Timo Miner, who I would, I would much rather have than Mikel Gremlin because you're make, he's making a lot less and he's a, and he's a lot better player. And yeah. now he's at the Devils. 13 that was 13 different things in that trade that the, in that exchange with the devils um in the sharks but it's it's i don't know where you go i don't know where you go you didn't get jt miller you didn't get anybody that's really was jumping off the page to and calling your name uh, but you got a guy that the predators were begging to sell um because of that contract yep definitely and well i have one more i have one question for you but then i i do want to say one more thing about hackstall is Jason Zucker this year is getting paid $5.5 million. He's a U.S. Yeah. unrestricted free agent after this year. Do the Penguins re-sign him? I think you do, but you don't pay him $5.5 million. And that's where I would say, I don't know if he goes somewhere else. I mean, he has a family. I, I, he's been here several years, which is great. That's a plus to the Penguins because he, he probably doesn't want to move um, across the country again. Um, I think if you pay him $4 million, I think he stays. But I, don't, I, I think $4 million might be my ceiling. I think he's going to want something around what Russ got. What Russ got five? That's that's not enough less. That's not enough less for me. If he, if Russ is making five point one two five. Um, I don't think I could do that. He's thirty one as well. I would give him maybe a. I would say, ooh, that's a, that's a, that's a great question, Ryan. That's a great question. I would say eighteen times four. I give him four point five. That's my ceiling, and I'm not. I would not budge from that. 
That's interesting because I don't think I don't think that's something that he would accept. But uh, he does seem like the he does seem like a great locker room guy and a guy that you like to have around the team. Always ahead of those videos today, he was squirting water at Jeff Carter in his pregame interview. You always hear him yelling out uh, when they give away the player of the game hat. He always yells best of the year after the player's speech. Uh, so and, he, and he's such a great grinder, such a great player, and he's had a phenomenal year for the Penguins. So you want to do everything you can to keep him around, but there is a price. Yeah, in- one more thing, Ryan. Yeah, one more thing. I just want to – sorry about that. I just want to say one more thing. He is uh... – is, is it worth $1 million? Let's say they give offer him 4.5 over the next four years. So it'd be 18 million over the span of four seasons. Is it worth him moving to a different, to a different team over $1 million per season? Uh-huh. That's what he's going to have to decide probably. Cause I, and, and I hope the Penguins give him that kind of an offer out of respect. And I don't, I, I hope he accepts it, but it's, it's going to be an interesting decision to see what he says, because um, that's it, a it's it, he's still getting paid pretty good. Yeah, he is uh, definitely. But and one thing I want to say about Hextall is I was reading this uh, Josh Yoey's article and I just found it really interesting. Some of this, like uh, McCann was traded away for basically nothing, and McCann would be a good third round player right now, and who would be paid a lot less than. Uh, I already forget his name. Grant Grandland uh, would be paid a lot mess, less than him. Jeff Corr is given the two-year extension, three point one million. That's that, that's ridiculous. Uh, but the reason he got rid of McCann is so he would have space to prevent the Kraken from taking Jeff Carter. And Alex, do you think the Kraken were going to take Jeff Carter? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But then. Because of that, Brandon Tanev had to walk, which led the Kraken to get him. And Tanev, let me look exactly what he's getting pay- paid right now. But he, no, would, I think it's maybe it's not much. But he, would, well, no, I would say it's about the same as Carter. But he would be phenomenal on the third line right now. I mean, you remember? I mean, I remember who was it against the Islanders in the playoffs two years ago? He had a huge goal. Yeah. I mean, he just – I mean, he was just the – he brought so much energy to the team, and I don't understand – I mean, yeah. there's another guy that uh, – Axel just seemed to screw up. Like, like he kept Carter great at Tanev. Uh, You're right. You're exactly he, right. And he looked at Tanev, who's 31, and Carter is now 38. They're both making – Tanev's making uh, 3.5. Carter is making uh, – What's he making? He's making 3.1. 3.1. And uh, he decided, hey, we'll take the guy that's seven years older, and he's my buddy from L.A. So yep. we'll t- keep him. So I, I hear what you're saying. And I, and, one, and what else he did is he traded two defensemen. Uh, he got rid of John Marino and Mike Matheson. Uh, and Matheson I, was a defenseman that I really liked. Marino never seemed to have it in Pittsburgh. But uh, – then he he replaced them with Petrie, Ty, and Ty Smith. Uh, Ty Smith is in the minors, and Petrie is having a good year, but he's getting paid more than any other defenseman on this team at six point two five, and he's under contract for two more years after this one. Uh, and I think Matheson was making what five million? I, th- I believe Matheson was making. And, I mean, I'd rather have Matheson five million than Petrie for six point two. I think Matheson adds a really good offensive aspect to his game as well. 
so that, that's just some stuff that I, I kind of want to talk about that I feel like where Hextall has kind of gone wrong. I mean, you can't really point out one good move he's made. He re-signed Kapanen, Kapanen's gone. That was one of his big moves of the offseason. Uh, the McGinn side. Again. That he did, and now McGinn uh, he let walk, and is now McGinn's now in the minors. I mean, those are t- his two biggest offseason moves. He do the one thing he did do a good job of was uh negotiating Malkin's contract and get, getting Malkin for his as cheap as he did at six point one, which is really good for how how well Malkin's playing. But that's that's really the only thing that he's he did. I mean, he got Latang, but uh for a good deal as well. I got you're right, you're right. But I mean, but yeah. That's it. I mean, he isn't. He didn't add anything to make the team any better. I would say maybe slightly better, but not a cup contender. And if you're not going to make him cup contender, as you said, then you need to try to figure out what you're going to do. I mean, you need to take advantage of Crosby, Malkin, and Latang for the three or four years they have left. Uh, but you're not going to do that if you don't bring in anybody <laughs> uh, and you don't try to negotiate better contracts. I mean, the captain deal was horrendous. The Carter deal was horrendous. And those are the two things that are sticking out right now as to why the Penguins didn't have any, didn't make any good moves that would help them compete the rest of the year. If you look at what they have right now in the in in um not not in the next two seasons, but three years from now, the Penguins are going to stink. The Penguins are going to stink by looking at what they're they're doing, and they're going to be so old. They're going to be so old. It's going to be ridiculous, and they're going to have Ricard, they have Ricard Raquel and. Brian Russ, they'll be here a long time, along with Latang, who still has another, I think he's another five years on his deal. Um, and I'm sure he'll still be good in five years. But it, I don't know what, what the exit strategy is here from Ron Hextall. And it's very concerning to me because it's very similar to what he did when he was with Philly, where that he ran that team into the ground. And look, they're still rebuilding. They are still rebuilding, and it's going to take them years to come before they're even a, another legitimate contender. It's probably another three years before they're going to be a, a playoff threat. And I, the Penguins cannot um, – they have to see what's coming. They have to see what's coming. It's concerning to me that they – they I don't think they do. Yep. Uh, that was some good – uh, some good Penguins talk, and there's definitely a lot to think about. But right now, let's look at the pause. The Penguins are in a wild card spot in a playoff spot right now on a three-game winning streak. They're playing a lot better. Uh, Jari's back. They're finally getting healthy now. Maybe not you know, the Tang's hurt again, but let's see how the rest of the season takes us. They're most likely going to be in the playoffs, so enjoy the playoffs. While you still have it with Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Crystal Tang, some of the best players this team has ever had. Now let's move on to the Pitt Panthers, who the Pitt Panthers now have a 21-9 record. Throughout this season, 14-5 and five in the AZC are basically one win away from their first March Madness berth in seven years. Uh, this team has been so impressive, and no matter what happens the rest of the season, it's been a year to remember for Pitt fans, and it's just been incredible to watch this team who was picked to finish 14th in the ACC go on a roll. Unfortunately, last night uh, they gave up a private opportunity to clinch a share of the ACC regular season title losing by seven at Notre Dame. And Notre Dame was three and 16 in the ACC going to that one, 11 or 10 and 19 overall. Uh, and I told you before, I was really worried about this game because it's Mike Bray's last ever home game. It's senior night for Notre Dame. I think that it's six seniors uh, and they want to send Mike Bray out for the win in his final career home game, but that's not an excuse 
That's that's no way an excuse to get in that pitch. If Juan Pitt was Pitt is a better team than Notre Dame, Notre Dame has been horrid this year, uh, and Pitt blew an opportunity. That's that's what it comes down to. They missed sixteen free throws in a seven point game. You look at that. That's the game right there. They shot horribly, thirty one percent from three, which is better than it was when I looked earlier on in the game. But they let Notre Dame shoot thirty seven percent from three. It was just one of the worst games of the season and and it just really was a missed opportunity for Pitt but you're gonna have those not I mean every team has those bad losses unfortunately for Pitt it's coming uh, that game came in March especially when the you know, selection committee is looking at the games the most and Pitt let me say this they should already be clinched in March Madison because in the net ranking the perception of the ACC they aren't and Joe Lenardi before the Pitt Notre Dame game said if they win this or any other game the rest of the year they're in well, they lost the easiest game they would have left. They play Miami, number 15th ranked team this weekend. If they don't win that, then they play, uh, they'll be either one through five in the ACC tournament. If they lose that game, are they in? That's the big question. So you want to take care of business against Miami this weekend. Leave no doubt that you'll be in the NCAA tournament. So it doesn't come down to an ACC tournament game uh, where teams are playing for their season. But uh, it was a real missed opportunity to clinch a pl- uh, NCAA tournament berth. Last night against Notre Dame, uh, and it leaves a lot of pressure for their remaining regular season game. And then if they lose that, their ACC tournament game. So uh, also, it's going to be interesting this weekend. It's a big one on Saturday at six for the Pitt Panthers. It certainly is, Ryan, and I feel good about Pitt against Miami. I mean, they beat him before at home, but I think they match up well against them again now. Um, and Pitt has had a, a fantastic season. Really fantastic season, defied all expectations that certainly we had for them. They have 21 wins, um, first winning season under Jeff Capel, and uh, it's it's very interesting to see how the college basketball landscape has reacted to Pitt's success this year. As you see, a lot of uh, a lot of rank, the net ranking, and we've talked about this at length that. Uh, the net ranking is one of the stupidest um, metrics in sports. And the fact that people listen to it and they form the rankings off of this is absolutely ridiculous. Pitt is by no means uh, not one of the top 25 teams in the country right now. And you look at the net rankings, Oral Roberts is ahead of is ahead of um, Pitt. Florida Atlantic is ahead of Pitt. Are you going to tell me if you base the rankings off of that, that, that FAU is a better team than Pitt? Absolutely not. And Pitt this year is better than Duke. Absolutely. They should have beat Duke um, when they played him at Duke earlier this year. And they're up by double digits at halftime. They squandered that game. That's one of the worst losses they've had this season. They're better than Clemson. They're better than NC State. They're better than North Carolina. They beat North Carolina twice. Should have beat Clemson the time that they played Clemson. They only lost by a point there. They beat NC State earlier this year in the first ACC game they played. So don't tell me that these teams might have a better ranking than them. They might have a better shot to get in the college basketball in the NCAA tournament than they than Pitt does because it's absolutely ridiculous. The only reason why North Carolina even has a shot is because of their name, because of what they've done, not what they've had, that not what they've performed this season. Um, as that team is far from the team that they were last year, um, that made such a great, fantastic run. Um, throughout the tournament. And I see Pitt as, yeah? Go ahead. No, 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 what are you going to say? 
One thing I was going to say is that you were just from the net rankings. West Virginia, I, I'm not saying Pitt should be ahead of them in the net ranking because West Virginia demolished Pitt at home. Uh, and that was early on in the season. It was, I think it was the second, second or third game of the season. So obviously wasn't indicative of how this team is now. But uh, what I want to point out the most is West Virginia's quad one record is five and 12. Pitt's quad one record uh, is four and three. So West Virginia is getting rewarded for playing better teams, but not for beating better teams. They only have one more quad one game than Pitt. They're five and twelve in quad one. Pitt is four and three. So Pitt's played seven quad one games. West Virginia has played seventeen quad one games. West Virginia has played ten more quad one games than Pitt and has one more win than Pitt in quad one games. And that, that I mean, that's just I mean, and they're ranked twenty four in the net ranking. Pitt is ranked fifty five. So they're twenty one spots ahead of Pitt in the net rank. That that math is not at up. Thirty one. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's a disrespect on a national stage to Pitt. And I don't normally want to say that. I've been critical of Pitt over the years. Yeah, by I think I absolutely have been. Perhaps uh, unfair at times, but this pit team is exciting. And this pit team is really, really exciting. This is a team that's built to make a run. This is a team that has leadership and depth throughout, um, and they have youth at the right spots too. Um, the the uh, twins have been the the Graham twins have been fantastic this season. They really have when and their roles off the bench. They come in they and. When the team's a little bit down, maybe they pick them. They pick them up a lot of the times. They've been very good, and Federico Federico has stepped in, in a huge way, huge way in the absence of Hughley um, this season. And hopefully, he'll be in a prominent role again next year too, because he's that good, um, and he deserves the time he gets out there. And yeah, I really do think Pitt. Yeah, I, yeah, and I think really think Pitt is is better off as a ten seed than they would be at eight or nine, because you don't want to play that number one team uh, in the second game of the tournament. Um, I think Pitt is in a great position if they are a 10 seed. It, and that might, that, that'll be enough for bulletin board material for them and also a better matchup and road for them in the tournament. Yeah, and everyone's saying that Pitt has all these bad losses. I'm looking at Pitt. They have one quad four loss, one quad three loss, nine and one quad one, five and one in quad three. So where are the bad losses? The quad four loss is the home loss to Florida State. The quad three loss is the away loss to Notre Dame. Uh, those are two games. How are those games bringing them down, uh, bringing them all the way down to 53 in the net ranking? It's ridiculous. The quad two record could be doing as well. It's three and four in quad two, but it's quad two. And they're four and three in quad one. Uh, they have a better record than... Plenty of teams ahead of them. I'm looking at five to five, six teams ahead of them right now. Pitt has better record than three of them. And it, it's just really confusing. It's how these rankings work because uh, they're not based on any type of logic. They're just based on some type of a uh, bunch of people who think they're a lot smarter than they are. You're absolutely right. And it's I, even to me, classifying wins as quad one, quad two. Uh, it's it's so odd, and I'll, I would have to look that up to see what that even means. Yeah, I just, uh, look at the bad, 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 just look at the teams. Look at how they play. Consider 
consider the circumstances and then maybe go from there. Like that loss to Notre Dame. If you're the selection committee, I would take, I would make a star next to that game and come back to that and say, that's the last home game that Mike Bray will ever have at Notre Dame. Those seen, it was senior night. Those guys are going to come out. They're playing their hearts out, especially those seniors. They're playing for each other. They're playing for their coach and they're playing in front of a big crowd. I don't. I think that has to be taken into context. If the selection committee does not do that, that it's on them. But I think it's also a detriment to them because you want to get the best games as games possible. And when, once you get in the tournament, and I think you're not recognizing this, the success and the skill of some of these teams if you don't t- take certain things um, into context. Yeah, definitely. You're 100 percent right. Uh... And some brighter notes, Pitt was 6-1 in February February with a lone loss to Virginia Tech. And that Syracuse game, Pitt beat them 99-82. to Jim Beheim had a great trip to the Pete in a sellout crowd. Uh, I hope he, I hope he enjoyed his time here. <laughs> but it was a sellout, 99-82, uh, offensive explosion for Pitt, uh, and, and just really kind of a statement win. Blake Henson, uh, 22 points in 35 minutes. I don't know if I want him taking these many threes the last of the year, but he had six Three's made on 17 attempts. 17 attempts, Alex. I've never seen a player have 17 th- three-point attempts in a game. That that is just insane. But they they dominated Syracuse from start to finish. Uh, and just a really big statement went at home uh, to really send send the seniors off right. Uh, and one one of the best moments of the game was Aiden Fish uh, came on as a team manager, then was able to become a walk-on. N- now earned a scholarship. Uh, midway through this season, uh, comes in in his final home game, scores a bucket with under a minute left. The place erupts louder than it was the entire game. People, uh, the announcers were saying, uh, just incredible for Aiden Fish, uh, and it just shows the kind of culture of the team. I mean, the entire team mobbed him after the game. Was just, I mean, it just just shows how together this team is. That a walk on goes on the court, gets a point, and the players care way more about that than any of the points that they scored. Or even the win, it seemed like. <laughs> that, that's a, such a great point by you because they really do care for each other. And this is a team that has supported each other throughout the year. There are a lot of journeymen that have gone, bounced around um, college basketball, a lot of transfers on this team. They're older. Um, and they're a group that has bonded together throughout this year. They've had a lot of adversity throughout this season um, with a lot of the players on that team. But they bonded together and Coach Cable, credit to them has done a phenomenal job putting this team together. And in my mind, he's, he, he's, he'd be my um, coach of the year candidate um, in college basketball because he's done such a great job putting this team together and getting to them into a position where they have the possibility of being number one in the ACC. Throughout yep, the and, uh, you can't really talk much about the ACC tournament right now is because the pick could be anywhere from the first seed to the five seed. So we'll, we'll let that develop before we talk about that. But uh, – is a definitely exciting time. Pitt should be a March Madness coming up in a f- couple weeks. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch them this Saturday uh, at Miami, and then it's going to be fun to watch them the ACC tournament. The Penguins are in full stride right now. It's going to be – oh, and one more note. Klaja Kansi ran a three-point – what was that? 4.68, uh, a 40-yard dash at the combine, which is fastest uh, in like 20 years or something like that, faster than Aaron Donald's time. Exactly. That's that's who was the next fastest, which is really cool. And that's a man that's 280 pounds. He, he That's a big man moving fast. 
uh, it, it's very impressive. Uh, uh, one more thing, Ryan. I think if Chris, uh, Chris Letang, if he could come back from from a stroke within like two weeks, I think after this injury, he'll be back um, within a week. Yep. Uh, that guy is tough. Let's hope, but uh, it's gonna be a fun. It's a fun time of the year. Uh, down the down the final stretch here of hockey and basketball, it's gonna be fun to watch these seasons finish up. Uh, as the regular season Penguins have about twenty some high twenties games left in Pitt. One regular season game, yep. one guaranteed game after that. So it's gonna be fun to watch. We thank you all for listening, Alex. It was a good podcast. I haven't done it in a while. Hopefully, we can start doing it more consistently. Absolutely. We got we got some exciting times coming up. We got the tournament. We got the draft coming up in about a month and a half. So we, we got a lot of sports to cover. We're looking forward to it. Yep. And we thank you all for listening. Remember, we are one-stop podcast for everything Pittsburgh sports. <laughs>